Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 230. We're recording on Thursday, October 5th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with, well, I didn't switch out, Rebecca Shinsky. <laughs> We're coming to you from bookriot.com. I didn't switch out, Jen, from, from last week. You're, you're back. You, you're a little under the weather, but you were in New York. You were out last week. Yes, I, I brought back the New York plague with yeah. me. Um, but I had a good week in New York last week, and I'm happy mm. to be back in the saddle here. Yep. A little follow-up from um, the show Jen and I did. It's only been out since we were, had a little tech issue, but... Um, uh, several people wrote in about um, the protagonist of Annihilation, and most people were saying, "Yeah, I, I either missed or forgot that the the protagonist of Annihilation was um, described as having a, being of Asian descent." Um, I don't think I don't think I had one person write in to say, "Oh yeah, I totally remember that." Hmm. Um, not that it, not that that matters. I'm we were I think we had, Jen and I both said we had forgotten, ignored it, whatever. This is what white people do, right? They ignore, forget, whitewash internally <laughs> and what happened. But um, our experience uh, is similar to other people's who've read Annihilation, at least, that it didn't stick in the craw. Um, that's a different metaphor. They, it didn't stick in their minds that um, the the female protagonist was described that way. Um, doesn't mean that shouldn't, you know, that it makes the casting in the movie okay or anything like that. That's just the poll that we did last week. Um, before we get into it, let's do our first sponsor. All right, good our first sponsor. sponsor this good, week. Good yeah. sponsor for us. This is a great sponsor for us. It's Dear Fahrenheit 451 by Annie Spence, which is out now from Flatiron Books. What would you say to the books in your life? Dear Fahrenheit 451 is librarian Annie Spence's collection of love letters and breakup notes to the iconic and eclectic books she's encountered over the years. Uh, this is a library reads title, which means it was selected by a bunch of librarians as one of the books of the month. It's a funny and smart collection that has recommendations as well as these letters and and if you are a book lover, which I'm going to make some assumptions about the people that are listening to this show, this is one of those books about books that you need to have on your shelf. Uh, Fahrenheit 451 would be one of the very first books I would write a letter to if I were to write mm. this book. Um, one of the very first books, uh, and we've talked about this, but one of the first books that kind of blew my mind in that way of like, oh, this is a thing you can do with books and reading. And that really had an effect on me. It was my first uh, tattoo. And so I'm uh, particularly interested in that piece of this book. But I love this notion of not just an open letter to an author, but a love letter to the book. And I'm really curious about what the breakup notes would be. I've had that experience a few times too. Uh, so a full, well-rounded exploration of the reading life. Again, it's called Dear Fahrenheit 451. It's by Annie Spence, and it's out now from Flatiron Books. Thanks to them for sponsoring. It's the most predictably big book news week of the year because we had the Nobel Prize announced, but that's not the big news for us. Not <laughs> no, for you no. and I, it's not. No, my friend. It's new Dan Brown week. We don't get this very often. It's like a solar eclipse, uh, an Olympics. You know, it's kind of, you get this every few years if you're lucky. Uh, if you're a fan, 
uh, like we are of Dan Brown. You got, and I, do you know the story of how it happened? No. Rebecca got a unicorn. I got, got a unicorn, unicorn in the mail. It, on Monday, so the book came out on Tuesday. It's Thursday as we're recording this. And on Monday morning at like 9.45, my doorbell rang. That's earlier than UPS usually comes. I went to the door. There was one envelope. And often I like stack up my envelopes of book mail and open them just every couple days. But I just sort of absentmindedly opened it as I was walking through the house. And I looked down and in my hot little hands, there was a copy of Origin that had come from Random House and there was no note in it. I don't know who sent it to me, but some magical fairy, thank you if you're Mm. listening to this show and you know how much I love Dan Brown, sent me Origin. So I started, I got to start reading it early. I started it Monday night. Um, Usually I like stay up all night to finish Mm. a new Dan Brown. Um, That is what happened the first time I read him when someone gave me the Da Vinci Code like years and years ago. Um, But I am so delighted with this one. I'm sort of meeting it out to myself (laughs) in, in like dribs and drabs. I'll be finished by the end of the week, but Man, it's everything I want Dan Brown to be. Inferno, I did not think was so great. This feels like a real return to... Like, Inferno was still a Dan Brown book, but this is a real return to what I want in a Robert Langdon book. There's this, like larger-than-life tech futurist guy who kind of seems yes. like Elon Musk on steroids. Yes. Like, yo, yeah, Jeff, it's like so solidly in your wheelhouse. Oh, I kind uh-huh. of... I'm having to restrain myself from like know, calling you and just reading sections out loud to you. Mm. Um, so the like tech futurist guy has made a discovery that's going to obliviate humanity's need for religion because his discovery has answered the questions of where did we come from and where are we going? Mm. And he has revealed this information to leaders of the Catholic Church, um, to a very famous rabbi, and also to a Muslim leader. And told them this is coming. And then the book really picks up on the night that he's going to make this revelation at a huge production at the Guggenheim. And it is like the descriptions of this huge production are just pomp and circumstance and silliness. And there's like a hologram. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then something happens. The production is stopped by someone on the inside who doesn't want the information to come out. Yes. And now Robert Langdon and a very attractive woman who runs the Guggenheim Museum have to go on a caper to release the truth. I'm in. I just, also, I just couldn't a thousand percent. Uh, so many thousands of percents. One of the like main characters of the book is AI. And so like Langdon is, and that's not a spoiler, it happens early, but Langdon is like perpetually on the phone with this character named Winston who's not a real person. And Robert Langdon manages to annoy the artificial intelligence. You know, his powers of annoyance transcend species. <laughs> so good. I'm count I'm tallying so I can do my Robert Langdon by the numbers post that I usually do for these books. Uh, but you know, we get a mention of swimming laps on like page 8. Oh, I had a, a reader t- tweeted me said that the swimming was mentioned like in the first 3 pages. Yep. Like like really early. It's like he's in good shape because he can fit into a tuxedo because of his daily laps or something. Yes. <laughs> he's like, yes. also this gala yes. where they're revealing the information uh, is black tie and Langdon accidentally packed his old tails instead of his regular tuxedo, but he can fit into it because he's such a stud muffin who swims laps every day at Harvard. 
It's just the best. I'm like sitting here in my office just grinning from ear to ear talking about it. It is the most delightful. And this is Dan Brown at his like winking packed with the whole book is filled with like hey did you know you know Mm -hmm. like dan brown has just been reading about churches and ancient symbols and obscure museums and all kinds of secret societies forever and ever and he's just like dropping every reference he can think of it's just the best it's so good (laughs) i mean it sounds i've a couple people i saw i didn't read the new york times review there's a new york times review but some other people saying that they've read it already and they or they're halfway through they're like they think it might be the second best to the Da Vinci Code. That's kind of what they're. Mm. That's kind of what the people I've heard are saying. Like this is, look, the Da Vinci Code. I don't think even if something was, you know, again, there's no objectively, but let's say you could um, get a thousand people in a room that never heard of Dan Brown and give them this one and the Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code probably still edges out, but also it has the first mover. It, it's the it's the book, right? It's like yes. the original Star Wars, all that kind of stuff. Like it's hard to beat the first one because of the experience is, is unique. But people have said that. It is, you know, if you like Dan Brown, then this is, you know, you're you're getting a full scoop of Dan yes. Brown. Like this a, it's a, like a like, scoop and a half. Yeah, so it's, I'm I'm so excited for it. It's so good. It's so great. There's even a little winking reference where uh, somebody is talking to Robert Langdon and is like, oh yeah, Professor Langdon, I remember when the Catholic Church came for your book about whatever and the sacred feminine, and it's like that's what really happened to Dan mm-hmm. Brown when the Catholic Church came for the Da Vinci Code. And so if you if you're paying attention to your Dan Brown canon. <laughs> It's it's great. I am I'm getting everything that I wanted from Um you asked me if I was going to re- if I was reading I said no, I'm not I'm not buying it. Um I've decided I think I talked about this show mm-hmm. that I'm trying to be conscious about my book buying dollars. I love Dan Brown. He got enough dollars. Doesn't need mine. I'm so I'm waiting on my library hold, which is going to be a while. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> so that's that's what it is. So I'm going to you know, I I get a little bit Christmas morning anticipation because the thing about this kind of thing is like you're excited for the no, new book but you, you're kind of also nervous, right? Mm-hmm. So that now that people are saying that they think it's good, that even makes it more yeah. exciting. Th- then it becomes a Christmas, Christmas present as opposed to just like there could be a goat behind that door. Now, <laughs> now it's really wrapped up. You know it's not a goat. It's not unless a you goat. Want a goat. Unless you want a goat, then it totally, it might be. It might be a goat. But whatever animal you don't want, it's n- that's not going to be it. <laughs> it's going to be an animal you do want. This has gone um, weird. This Monty has gone Hall weird. died this week. Then Monty Hall died this week. I have. Oh, I've got. Let's make that, a deal. So you're in my doing head. your let's make a deal. Yeah, this is my let's make a deal with my one thing I know about. I was uh, like half baking a greatest of all time goat joke, but I didn't get oh, there. Oh no! Yeah, almost, almost. Yeah, you're on day quill. You can be forgiven. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited about that. I mean, it for me, it's been a heck of a fall for like things I like personally, like some of my favorite, mm-hmm, like Jasmine mm-hmm. Ward has a book out. Uh, there's a new John le Carré. There's, there's a new Dan Brown. There's a new, what's the other, there's a new um, Elizabeth Solander novel. And I like the Daily yep. Grounds. Like for me, there's like five things that I'm just thrilled to be, to be reading uh, yeah, for I'm me having this the same. I'm having the same feeling this fall is very exciting because they're like for me it was there was the new Jasmine Ward the new yeah. Renee Brown the new Tanahasi Coates just came out and now uh, now Dan Brown and it's just it's a good time to be oh yeah a I need to check to see I'm gonna do that Coates on Audible do you know there's an audio edition there oh, must be at this point I don't know it's um 
I bet there is. There must be. I'd, I'd be that, surprised if there's not. Yeah. He's he's so big. That, um, I have an audible credit that I meant to, to burn on that. So. Yeah. You know, we mentioned it on all the books again this week, but the new ta Coates is called We Were Eight Years in Power, mm. and it's new and selected essays. So like the case for reparations is reprinted in this collection. Um, but if you're thinking about ordering it, our friends, Josh and Emily at Print Bookstore uh, in Portland, Maine, are donating a portion of the um, sales of like all, all of these sales of this book for the entire year. It wasn't just during the pre-order period, but for the whole year, they're donating a portion of the sales of this book to an organization in Charlottesville that uh, provides funding for uh, black educators. So you can find out more about that at uh, I think it's printbookstore.com. But good friends of ours, Josh has been on the show, and that's a cool initiative. So if you're going to buy the book anyway, maybe do it from them. Support a good cause. Uh, I'm bumping Issue Grow down the B segment again because I have more down brown to talk about. Um, you didn't uh, read this. There's a, I'm not even sure what it is, a profile, a little time with piece that came out over the weekend in the New York Times. Like they sent a reporter out to Dan Brown's house and he like showed him around. And it was. A strange it's, piece. He's a strange. Dan Brown is a strange guy. The way it was approached was really strange. But like, I, I guess here's what it is. Dan Brown is a dork. He's not. A, yes. He, he's not a geek, right? Which geek? Geek is like a dork that's a little bit cool. Dan Brown is not cool. King of the nerds. He's king of the nerds, and like he's awkward, and he's got a lot of money, and his house is weird. And he doesn't quite know, I think, how to like he, his his line that the reporter quoted on is like you can you can talk about my house as long as you don't make it sound ostentatious, which is not something you say if you want to come off sounding normal, right? That's not what you don't you can't say. It's like that episode of Friends where Monica's like calling Tom Selleck and, 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 and Jennifer Aniston's like be breezy, and she says I'm cool, I'm breezy on the answering machine. It negates what you're trying to do. To, to say what you're trying to do. Like, you just, you just act cool. Like, your house is your house. You're going to let someone in, just let them describe it how it is. And, and so it's like that kind of thing. And he, they take a ride in his Tesla X. It's just a very strange piece. I mean, Dan Brown is doing the most. And yes. Amanda, Amanda, so I read the piece, but only after Amanda, oh, I was oh, I'm traveling. Oh, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah, no, it's okay. I, w- I was traveling and Amanda texted me like a link to it, but followed by like 17 highlights in all caps. <laughs> that was like, Rebecca, Rebecca, Dan Brown uses Bible quotes to tell people when he's in the bathroom. Yeah, that <laughs> was a good one. Like, the Amanda version of the highlights, mm-hmm. I think, was more enjoyable than actually reading the piece that the writer does end up describing Dan Brown's house as fantastically bonkers. But it's like there's some old edition of the King James Bible Yep. open to a certain page outside one of the bathrooms and it refers it, there's some verses highlighted or something that refers to like being in a private space or something and he's like that's how people know the bathrooms occupied <laughs> it's like you are so weird it's so weird like he's talking about how they bought this suit of armor to go in the library but then moved it because it didn't really fit and i'm like they designed a library around a suit of armor like what is they didn't tell us what the suit of armor was the pull quote we i saw people is like he says like this he says i write the kind of books i would want to read if i read fiction mm-hmm. and so people were kind of jumping down on him saying like dan brown doesn't read fiction like if you've read the books 
and you've read all of these, you can kind of see like he actually doesn't know how these books are supposed to. He doesn't know like how normal fiction works, kind of like these are weird books and they have weird pacing and weird awkward. That that's part of the pleasure of it is like this is a different flavor of ice cream, and it's kind of interesting. Like what does I mean? He reads nonfiction about like Spanish monasteries that are built into the sides of cliffs. Right? Like that's right. what he reads. He doesn't read. If you're, if you, there isn't, that's why there's nothing like Dan Brown. Cause he wrote, I mean, what's that Morrison quote? Write the book you want to see in the world. Well, mm-hmm, Dan Brown is did. leaning into that particular quote. Yeah. He's not trying to like be inspired by his favorite novelists. You know, there's no. no, there's no, there's nothing in the Dan Brown universe of like, what are your influences? You know, he's not like, well, I, you know, I listened to the Beatles and yeah, I, right. I read a lot of Mary Oliver and then I did this thing. Like it's, he is consuming as much information and he talks Mm -hmm. a little bit in that interview and in a bunch of other interviews about how much he loves math and you know numbers and puzzles which obviously from really he likes a puzzle yeah i know uh but he's he's like just dumping i think he's just insatiably curious and he's dumping all this information into his brain and then figuring out how to tell a story that can convey all these things that he is utterly delighted by like i think this is why these books work is that it's clear that dan brown is completely delighted Mm. by these weird facts and these cool old buildings and these secret societies and all the conspiracies that exist between like religious orders and governments and people who are trying to make major decisions discoveries and the tension between, in this case, you know, religion and technology. And he's like, he's just trying to be like, people, look how cool all this stuff I know. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, he, as I said before, he's um, Rick Steves that wants to be Indiana Jones. Yes. That's what Robert Langdon is. And that's what I think uh, Dan Brown is sort of living out vicariously. It's an interesting piece. It is. Like, it's obviously a little wish fulfillment, you know, like Robert Langdon does always end up with some woman who's beautiful and like 25 years his junior Mm -hmm. and also is very smart and happens to want to kiss him. Yeah. Yeah, and I it's have just some so side weird eye that, that like wish like, fulfillment okay. also includes the Mickey Mouse watch and how much swimming you do. I just, it just <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, it's weird. It's idiosyncratic, right? I, I was making, and I don't. I, you probably haven't had time to listen to 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 the show I did with Jen, mm-hmm. but I was making I the case to her. I, this was really a case I was trying to make to Rebecca by proxy because <laughs> I'm not sure Jen's a huge Dan Brown. But I was saying like I think Andy Weir is coming to stand on Dan Brown's corner a little bit. Oh, you see where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Like it's this idiosyncratic, nerdy, dorky, even kind of not good, but also awesome yes. like genre of book. Like it's and that's why it kind of works. And there's nothing really like him. And you know, yeah, that's uh, true. The it, Martian is so technical. It's so technical, but also but it's, it's so dorky. It's also it's, uncool. It's so the, uncool. And the, and the voice of it is so much fun, though. Like, yeah, oh, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. That argument, I am receiving that argument All by right. proxy. I needed, I needed some validation for that, apparently. <laughs> so I had to bring it up again. Um, but yeah, oh, we also get Artemis. So we get in November, we get another Andy Weir, which I'm, yeah, Jen and I were both excited and, and nervous about that as well. Um, anyway, so I think that's our Dan Brown talk. Do we mm-hmm. have anything else to say now? Uh, maybe once no. I'm d- maybe in a few months we'll do an after show where we actually yes. get into it. we have to we don't get to do it. We, oh. we haven't done an after show in a while. We, we haven't. We oh, have you watched Our Souls at Night yet? I did. Did you? Not yet. No. How is it? Just tell me. Like tell. Me. Um. So Michelle and I watched it. Michelle hasn't read the book. Okay. So we watched it together. She liked it. Okay. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I think I'm not sure it could have been better. Actually. Okay. But the ending. I don't know how to do this without spoiling it. The ending felt different. I'm not sure in a bad way, mm-hmm. 
Um, I also think the the movie. I guess I was anticipating much more working class people, like oh, how they yeah. portrayed it. Mm-hmm. They, they, I was like, this is a dirt town, and it's like a leafy kind of middle class suburb. Uh, I, I don't know. It feels like they have. I don't know. I'll be curious what you think. Like some of the like. Okay. Uh, anyway. Well, like Jane Fonda and Robert Redford look like Jane Fonda and Robert. Yeah, Redford. That, 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 which is not a problem necessarily, but it's definitely. Think I think they were both great. Um, it, it was interesting. There was okay. it's, uh, that we might have to do an after show about that too. Yeah, you get I'm hoping to, to watch that it. this week. It's not a disappointment. I don't think it was a home run. Okay. I don't think it was a home run, but I also think some of the things once I've seen the movie version, I was like, there's some reason that it's better as a book. But we can talk about that some other time. But definitely worth watching. Like Michelle enjoyed it. Like if you like, you know, love stories, as you know, you like quiet movies about people that are character driven. Especially if you are interested in this later in life story, very cool. I mean, it's awesome. I- I'm glad they made it. I mean, it's a Netflix thing. It- Unless Redford demanded $20 million, which I can't imagine he does at 81 years old or whatever now, but like it probably wasn't that expensive to make. It's all, it was amazing. It was, it's like kind of like I was talking about Jen, like the brief history of Seven Killings being made into an Amazon series blow my mind. There's an adaptation of Our Souls at Night that's like basically a filmed play. That's amazing. Like it's incredible mm-hmm. that we get that stuff now. But yeah, it was good. I, um, yeah, I have more to say about it, but I don't want to spoil the, okay. the book or the, or the movie that people have haven't seen it yet. Um, Why don't about. you tell me about our next sponsor yeah, we are, and then we'll talk, talk about book awards. Then we can, go, we can go into like top level thing that actual book um, people care about and not just our idiosyncratic um, desires and wants and, and pleasures. Uh, book of the Month is back. Today's show is supported by Book of the Month. Uh, book of the Month makes reading more fun and discovering great new books easier than every, uh, ever. Every month, they pour through hundreds of new books and select five new hardcover releases that are truly worth reading. You pick your favorite, and they ship it to your door in a fun-to-open box. From there, you curl up, get lost in a great story. Then you come back next month, do it all again. Book of the Month only sends you books you've chosen, and they make it easy to skip any month if, if you want, so there's no need to get a book until you're ready. You, you, know, you fall behind, you're not ready, you go on vacation, you just want to pause. Totally easy to do. So no matter how often you read, you'll save money on books you love with lower prices and free shipping head over to bookofthemonth.com slash bookwrite to see their current selections and get your first book for just $9.99 that's bookofthemonth.com slash bookwrite get your first book for $9.99 book of the month bound to delight they, they pick good stuff you know if you like buying hardcover books you want a hardcover book it's also a good way it's kind of like it's kind of like joining a gym. Like part of the reason that you go to a gym is you want to go to the gym. Part of the reason you subscribe to a gym membership is you make it easy to go to the gym. Like I have this membership, so I should go to the gym. Like you sign up and you know you get a book. And I think a lot of people do get stuck on a lot of civilians. Probably people listen to this show, you know, find books. But even I have this trouble. I get stuck. I don't have something ready to read, and like I flail for a week before I pick something else. The easiest thing to keep moving if you want to keep reading is to have one ready. You have one coming up. You know when there's one coming. You've got one to get excited for. Just enough curation so that you know you, you, there's a few books that you can pick from, but then you get to you make that final selection like that. So, book of the month. Go check it out. Um, our book right insiders every they're like they're on uh, midnight on the last of the month. They're waiting for the book of the month picks to roll over. So that's also fun too. What they could pick this month, you could find out about other great books. Even the one that you don't get shipped to, you can find about it that too. Thanks to them for sponsoring this show. Nobel Prize. All right. Um, by this time, if you're listening to the show, you've heard, um, but if you haven't, uh, Kasu Ishiguro wins the 2017 Nobel Prize for Literature. I have to say, I am shocked. Very surprised. Why are you shocked? Are we shocked for the same reasons? Well, I think 
his is just not a name that has been kicked around a lot as a yeah. contender. Like there aren't a whole lot of uh, Japanese writers whose names do get kicked around as a contender for the Nobel, but when there is one, it's usually Haruki Murakami. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm surprised. I'm kind of delighted by this though. I love Ishiguro. Me do too. Um, and happy to see him have this attention on the world stage, but tell me why you're shocked. Three English language writers in a row. Mm. Monroe, Dylan, Ishiguro. I'm yeah. shocked. I'm shocked. We get the, we're getting the whole um, English colonies. Maybe New Zealand next, Australia. Um, Tim Winton out uh, and down in Australia. Maybe something like that. Yeah, it's not a name that... I mean, I think... Look, I don't know enough about world literature to say X should have won this above Y. I still think there should be more women. Historically, it's been very bad. Um, that's all in the background of this. Um, you know, But it's a person of color. It's an English... Right? He, he, he lives in England. Um, he writes in English. Remains of the Day, or excuse me, Remains of the Day and Never Let Me Go are the two most well-known. Uh, Never Let Me Go blew me away when I read it, I don't know, 10 years ago now? I don't even remember when that book um, came out. He does. He's an interesting guy. He's a beautiful writer. Remains of the Day is like, it's almost like a William James or a Henry James novel. Mm-hmm. And then Never Let Me Go is this like near future dystopia almost horror i mean in yeah, a yeah. very light horror kind of way the buried giants also like a genre riff um so that part of it makes sense in terms of capturing our current literary moment where genre cross-pollination i think whatever this era of literature we remembered for i think that's going to be you know colson whitehead is you know a good example other people dipping into different genres um, liter- literary fiction be- itself becoming more of a genre if you don't dip into only genres almost. It's, it's interesting to think about it that way. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm thrilled. I, I, but it's also one of those things like it's availability bias for me because, like, of course I'm thrilled if it's a writer I know. Like, sure. has there ever been a writer that's won a Nobel Prize that I knew that I was like, that person doesn't deserve it? But there's all these people I don't know. So, like, in terms of triaging who should have won it over what else, I, I'm sure there's other people that, were as equally um, deserving, but I'm I'm thrilled, I have to say. Yeah, I think it's very exciting. It's exciting to me also to see a writer who, like, his works are just quiet. Mm. And, like, I've always described the remains of the day as quietly devastating, and it's my, that's my favorite in his oeuvre, and also not surprising, I guess, for what I like to read, quietly devastating. is like yeah, yeah, yeah. Quietly devastating is right in my, like, that's a straight shot down the middle. Um, and I think, though, well, this Washington Post piece that Ron Charles wrote that we'll link to in the show notes mentions Ishiguro talking about his work as, you know, I was never, I'm, I was never in the work for ideas. It was never about in, an intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. I'm in the work to talk about emotions. It's been, he says, it's been important to me that my works work through the emotions. I went into this because I wanted to share emotions with people That's a really rather than intellectual thing. ideas. Yep. Yes, I use words and ideas certainly go in there. But for me, the reason I want to write novels instead of essays is because I want to say, this is how this one person over here feels and you recognize it. Um, and fiction that does that is so powerful. And Ishiguro is a master of it. But the literature of ideas, I think, um, not to like poop on the literature of ideas at all. (laughs) Um, But the literature of ideas is usually the literature that gets held up as deserving of awards. And we like to poo-poo on, or not uh, like not me personally, but I think like the literary establishment 
well, sort of looks down their nose at books that have emotional impact, like mm. that, like feelings are somehow secondary to what you think, as if these things are can even be extricated from each other um, in our real experience of them. So I thought that was very cool. Um, one of the Let's see. One of the quotes, um, Sarah Danius, who's the permanent secretary of the Swedish Academy, um, is talking about Ishiguro's work. And she says he's exploring what you have to forget in order to survive in the first place as an individual or as a society. Um, I think that's a really nice way to sum up Mm. what he does in a lot of his fiction. Um, Like you I'm sure that there are just a ton of deserving writers with bodies of work that I've not heard of that are writing in other languages and other cultures that I don't know of or wouldn't have access to. And so I don't want to play the game of who deserves it more yeah. than who. I do want to see more women win this award, and I'm 100% fine with calling for someone to pay attention to it. Like, yes. This is the 114th time that the Nobel has been awarded in literature, and Ishiguro is the 100th man to win it. And that is just not a ratio that is acceptable by any contemporary standards. Um, So let's start counting Nobel Prize winners and gender the way that we count other things to try to get some equity there. Um, Or even something approaching equity, like 14 to 100 is just not cool. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's so lopsided that, well, maybe people can do whatever you want, but for my mind, it's not so much as like, because you could pick women for the next 50 yeah. and you're still screwed up. Like maybe almost start, like, can we start from zero or like start from, like just do better going forward. Like, I mean, there's 50 women that easily could win the Nobel Prize for literature. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's not possible, but I don't think anyone's asking for it. You need to get to parity uh, in the next 60. So they all right. can do it. People are asking for like, could it be every other one? I mean, could 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 we go? You know, although like I'd be cool with it if they just awarded it to women for the sure. Next no, I'm saying years. that, but I, I don't think I don't think most people who who have a critique of the Nobel Prize is like the next seventy until the next seventy are women and it's it's seventy seventy. Mm-hmm. We're going to be pissed off. I don't think if if if, no. it's, if it would be every other year, I think people are like okay, that's that seems cool. Now you definitely could go over that, and you would not be choosing undeserving winners, but like. There has to be some cognizance of what is going on in the world. Um, I, you know, I have to say about as a girl, I kind of have sleeping on him recently. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just looking at the books that have come out recently. I loved Never Let Me Go. I liked Remains of the Day a great deal, but he's published other stuff that I just didn't read. I didn't read When We Were Orphans. Did you? Artist of the Floating World. I didn't no. read that. Uh, uh, a Pale of the View of the Hills was a debut novel, so I mean, that's not that's not necessarily. Uh, um, Nocturnes: Five Stories of Music and Nightfall in 2010. That sounds interesting. The Unconsoled. Like, why why did I miss this? Why? Because this my personality is if I like an author, I'll just read this stuff. But for whatever reason, I, I just stopped. I don't know. I, that's weird, right? Hmm. It's strange. That's strange. Just yeah, just kind of falls off the radar sometimes if yeah. there aren't. Did you read any I, of these least, other ones? I didn't. I've read no. Remains of the Day and Never Let Me Go, and I think I started The Buried Giant and got distracted. Like I don't remember disliking it. I just mm-hmm. also remember that I didn't finish it. But I've wanted to go back. I've read The Remains of the Day like three or four times. Yeah. I think um, I really, really love that. Buried Giant. Um, my memory of people's reaction to what is divisive. Which is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I like that some people love it, some people hate it. I always find that interesting. It wasn't will, universally uh, adored. I'll have to go find the 
Twitter thread to put into the show notes here, but there's a great bookseller named Kenny Coble who's- I saw that. Yeah, he's in the Pacific Northwest. I've followed him on Twitter for years. He's a great Twitter follower. Lots of booksellers are great Twitter follows. Um, Tons of recommendations, but he is just a diehard Mm -hmm. Ishiguro fan. Uh, And he uh, is also of Japanese descent. Kenny's Mm Japanese-American and- Ishiguro is uh, Japanese and British, and he rose writing this morning about what it means to him, why he's been a bookseller, what it means to him to see uh, someone who's telling a story that he can relate to and a writer that he can relate to um, win the Nobel Prize, how significant that was. So a cool thing mm. to have grounded um, in, like, we have to remember that it's these books go out to real people who are really reading them and that mm-hmm. literature impacts our lives in these important ways. So who wins these awards matters because these are the books that will be lifted up um, and handed to people as important, which kind of circles back to like, it's, it's great that a person of color is winning this. Mm-hmm. It is important for women to be awarded these books as well. So that not just women, but people of all genders can read books that aren't just about men. Um, so also, also interesting. I, I was wrong. Uh, Real time follow up. Um, mm. I was wrong. Alice Monroe won in 2014. Uh, the, the woman who won in 2015 was the Belarusian. Uh, what's her? I, can't, I, I just realized that. I think it's um, Svetlana Alexievich. I'll put the link in the show notes. Mm. So there was a, a another person in between. So it wasn't three um, English language writers in a row, but still three out of four uh, is, is pretty good. The other thing that strikes me about this, this is a book that's on shelves. These You can go buy Ishiguro and Barnes & Noble today. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a real boon to booksellers and publishing, that this is a, these are books people know. You and I, you like, you and I have read these books. Their Barnes & Noble's going to have, well, maybe they need to get more because they've probably been sold out. But like, <laughs> any, you can go into a bookstore and pick up an Ishiguro, which right. unlike, you know, a Bob Dylan, like, where you can buy the biography, Right or like you know, or Svetlana Alexievich. Like, there's no or what was the the French guy that won a few years ago? You just couldn't even buy it. Like, there wasn't even English language translations that you could, you couldn't find. So, this is interesting too. From that, if it, the this is a U.S. focused, um, Commonwealth British British too. Like, these are books that are on the shelves that already sell copies. You know, uh, Never Let Me Go is like you wouldn't be shocked to see that on the paperbacks favorites table at Barnes and Noble. You just wouldn't be. Um, it's probably sitting there right now. So. This is one where people immediately can go out and buy it. It's already translated. There's always a, there's a bunch of back catalog. I mean, Remains of the Day got made into a movie. I think Never Let Me Go did too, actually. And a good one. It's a good movie. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson. Um, so, you know, this, this is, in terms of profile, uh, of existing profile, like he's not a household name. That, I'm not saying that. But like, this is, a, 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 for a name that's on the paperback favorites, table mm-hmm. to win a Nobel Prize from a sales point of view is very interesting. I'll be curious to see my book scan numbers next week in Publishers Weekly, both for my boy D. Brizzle and for the Ishiguro. <laughs> um, like, what is a Nobel... Because pr- it's kind of... The Monroe, remember, we talked oh, about yeah. on this show, um, mm-hmm. sold very well in the U.S. And I think I was giving the Canadians junk because it actually didn't sell that well. Oh, yeah, people, we got a lot yeah, of we got a, and People are like, we've already, already have it. I'm like, okay, settle down, Canada. Um, but th- I think it's an interesting point. Like, this is a you know, a, 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 an approachable, for Americans mm-hmm. especially, English yeah. language, the approachable and available author with a, with a bunch and of like, interesting books. Stuff to chew on. You could yeah. do Remains of the Day or Never Let Me Go as a book club pick. Oh, yeah, that's a great Tons point. to talk about. Tons. There's and it wouldn't just, be a slog. You know, it wouldn't it's, be a it's slog. not like doing uh, the Gulag Arch- Archipelago by uh, Solzhenitsyn or something like that. Like it wouldn't feel like homework. Like never let me, both those especially. And mm-hmm. again, those are two you know, I've read. Maybe the other ones are similar. I don't know. That's a great point. That's a. Gr- I mean, when's the last time? I mean, 
God, that's a great point. Like, I mean, you can book club Alice Monroe. Like, there's tons about women's yeah. lives. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. Book club in there, no, but no, yeah, it's true. not a common. I don't think it's a common feature among Nobel Prize winning no. literature that it also is accessible to like what we kind of think of as like the everyday reader um, mm-hmm. or a book, you know, the book club member. Um, you know, you mentioned. <laughs> Bob Dylan and the autobiography. Did you and yes. Jen get to the Garth Brooks autobiography no, story? Think, Did that happen? I think that came out after we, well, we, we did multi-part, but like so, it came out after we did the main show and we were just mopping up. Yeah, let's talk I about just, that real quick. I need to mention, like all, I, this is all that I know about it is what I'm about to say about it. But, but I am the most excited. Garth Brooks is going to write a five volume autobiography, memoir, whatever, about his career. And each volume is going to come with a bunch of CDs, some of it previously unreleased music from his career. And I just have like, Amanda also texted me that while I was traveling. And I was like, <laughs> like, I think she Instagrammed it. She's like, Rebecca, there's going to be a five volume Garth Brooks memoir. And I said, is he the country now scarred? And it was like, I just could not be more delighted. Also, this takes so much swagger to be like, I'm going to write about my life and I need five volumes to do it. And if you're familiar with weird copyright stuff at all, you know that like you can't get Garth Brooks music on iTunes or Spotify or any of those things. Like you can't find many Garth Brooks videos on YouTube. They have locked all that business down. Like if you want Garth Brooks, you have to buy CDs. Mm -hmm. And there have been weird things where it's, it's even been very difficult to do that. So like now... If you are a Garth Brooks fan at all, which like goes deep into my childhood, you're going to be, you can buy five volumes of Garth Brooks writing about his life and also get a bunch of music. And I just, I, this is like, fan, I talk about fantastically bonkers. Like, I think this is fantastically five, five bonkers. Five volumes. I, I, uh, Michelle is a big Garth Brooks fan. I am by proxy a um, Garth Brooks withstander. Uh, I, I withstand <laughs> Garth Brooks. I know more lyrics. You tolerate, than I endure. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's I like it fine. Um, but I will say about Garth Brooks, he is his ego, the size of his ego, making his ego bigger has never been a Garth Brooks problem. Oh yeah, he's doing uh, just fine. He, he 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 he. You know, he does these very. I don't even know what you call him. Like you know, he's he does a lot of um, in the old days, at least in the '90s, a lot of Garth Brooks giant stadium shows where mm-hmm. it's like a spotlight on Garth Brooks and he just sings like in the band as the background, like. He's not afraid, and he does like Garth Brooks anthologies. Like, there's been a million of them, and whatever. So, like, I guess there's a this is a this is a objectively strange thing. But if you would have said there's a country star that's doing a five volume autobiography, like who is? I'm like that's Garth Brooks. Like it's oh, got yeah, Garth Brooks like written all of. There's like no there's it's, no other contender. It's the only way. And this is a sincere request that I'm about to make. If there is something like deeply problematic about Garth Brooks, I really don't want to know. No. So please. <laughs> Don't tell me. Is he still like, married to Trisha Yearwood? Do we know? Is she still married he is. to Trisha Yearwood? Oh. He is still married to Trisha Yearwood. Um, that anyway, was a scandal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, would you like to hear my pun titles for Garth Brooks's Five Line oh, Anthology? Oh, please, please. I think, I think Pillars of the Garth has to be the, <laughs> the one. Has to be. Have it. you been working on this, or is this happening on the? No, fly? actually, this happened real time. It had that's a, that was a real time. I think that's my <laughs> pillars, pillars of, of the Garth. Pillars of the Garth, because it's like a huge series, you know, mm-hmm. um, a cathedral to himself. Uh, anyway, that's that's my. They can use that for free. No royalties. I don't I've, need to any royalties. I've had um, ain't going down till the sun comes up stuck nah. in my head for the last week, but I have no puns. 
Uh, I have to say that I've got friends in low places. That that song I have to sing along to if it comes on in the car. Mm-hmm. If it's if it comes on on our iPod, our iPhones or we're on the list. There's not a lot of country radio stations up here. I'm just realizing that anyway. That, oh, that is interesting. We are like I, I was just going down a mental rabbit hole about how that song, that summer, which is about like a teenage boy having an affair with mm. an older woman, feels like the country version of a Kent Harriff novel that never existed. Oh. Like. Yeah, too young for her. You have to be at least 60 for her roof to care about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, or, you're the, or you're someone's problematic kid uh, right. in a Haruf novel. Okay, let's see. Um, buried. Let's buried now. I, the NBA finalist comes after Garth Brooks, which is a very, I mean, you know what? We <laughs> do what we do. This is our Book show. Riot. This is our show. Um, National Book Award finalist came out uh, yesterday, yesterday morning. Um, boy, are they looking to get swallowed by the Nobel or what? I, that's a, mm-hmm. I don't know if they think about that. Um, there, there's a shock. I, there's a shocking thing on this. Uh, I think there is a shock. Intimated. Um, I think Jen and I were talking about the long list. No, you and I were. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hate you give by Angie Thomas didn't make the short list. It did not. That's the story of this. I think. Don't you think? I think so. Like, not that the other books, the finalists that did that did make it are What Girls Are Made Of by Elena K. Arnold, Far, Th- Far From the Tree by Robin Benway, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica L. Sanchez, Clayton Bird Goes Underground by Rita Williams Garcia, and American Street by E.B. Zaboy. And many of those are by people of color and address yep. contemporary issues. But it's hard to imagine. I think I said I called it that my money was on The Hate yeah. You Give to win this award. Um, and the chatter that I have seen so far about this list of finalists is about the lack of yep. the hate you give making it. Um, and I just, this morning was listening to, um, Lisa Lucas was on main public radio, um, talking about the finalist and I was listening to it and she was saying, you know, the, every year the judges are just given the instructions of like, read these books, figure out amongst yourselves what your process is going to be, figure out how you're going to decide what the winner is and I would love to know um, how they arrived at this. You know, among the Book Riot contributors and the insiders, there's been a lot of love for American Street by E.B. Zaboy. Um, and it certainly has been less well publicized, I think, and less recognized than the hate you give this year. So maybe there's some of that going on as well. But really, I think a noticeable absence um, to not see the hate you give on this mm-hmm. list of finalists. Yeah. Um, the fiction list is excellent. Uh, Dark at the Crossing by Elliot Ackerman, The Leavers by Lisa Ko, Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Her Body and Other Parties, which is a collection of short stories by Carmen Maria Machado, and Sing Unburied Sing by Jesmyn Ward. Um, I think I would be surprised to see Her Body and Other Parties win it, like just because that's a a small, I think it's a debut collection. Um, very well, feminist. Dark at the Crossing is independent. Grey Wolf. And, yeah. Um, uh, what's um, The Leavers, Algonquin. Mm-hmm. So the well, it's not in, it's a smaller press, I guess. It's not a big five. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, representing the fiction list. Well, I guess the other story for those for people who aren't following the hate you give, especially or haven't read it or, or heard about it. Which, if you care about the YA list, you I don't know why you, how you would have avoided it. But lots of women all along mm-hmm. the Watchtower yep. here. Um, Eleven to fifteen, I think, is the stat I heard. I didn't do a, a new count just now. Um, but yeah, and the the book um, Kelly, our, our coworker, our friend Kelly, who um, along with Eric Smith uh, co-hosts our uh, Hey YA podcast, and she writes our What's Up with YA newsletter, was saying that um, she loved, and I'm just throwing it out there because I don't know anything else. Is this is someone else that knows something about this stuff? Is um, oh, I lost my thing. Uh, the What Girls Are Made Of 
by mm. Elena Arnold. She said it was awesome, and that was her favorite of the year. So if you're looking for Wreck to pick this up, I, I have American Street. Um, I bought a Kindle version of it to, to oh, read. Cool. Um, and then um, the, I was noticing the judges, um, friend of the site, Meg Medina mm-hmm. was one of the judges there too. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, really interesting group. Um, if you are into YA and you did not know that Book Riot now has a YA podcast. Do yep. you see what you I should, did there? Yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> should get on that. It is called Hey YA and it's hosted by Kelly Jensen and Eric Smith. And on the current episode, Kelly does a dramatic reading from Tyra Banks's young adult novel, Model Land, which that alone is worth the Listen, time in your ears. <laughs> you don't get that everywhere. You don't. You, you don't. You, it's a very book riot feeling podcast. No, that's that's uh, that's a list. So there, um, the finalists. Does it say when we're going to hear about them? Oh, I think the awards are in November. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a big to do. It is. There's a whole thing. There's a whole. It's thing. like 700 people go to the ceremony, and then mm. they have another couple hundred people who show up for the after party, which is like the big night of the year where all the booksellers get drunk and take videos of each other dancing. Um, I don't know what it says about me uh, <laughs> that I work in this business, and I would have zero desire to go to that. Did you? Would you go to that? If so, and I'm sure we could get an invite if we wanted to mm. go to the after party thing. But like, is it weird that I just I, I actively don't want to go? Like, I just don't, I, you know, like, I'd rather, I guess at the Oscars I'd like to go to, I don't know, the whole thing, but like. I like the pomp and circumstance of a big ceremony. Like, I would want yeah. to go to the actual award ceremony. And I do like to dance. I would hang for the after party. But if I only got invited to the after party, probably not. The dancing, like, de- the dancing in, delivery device. You, you invite me to your whole party. Yeah. Or nothing. It's like. It's like not getting invited to the wedding ceremony, but you have to bring a gift and come to the reception. Yeah, that that, that I've always that's kind of a weird kiss your sister thing, right? That you get invited <coughs> to the reception and not, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, there's something because objectively, like it would be fun to see what it's like. I guess you know what I want. I want drone footage of the National Book Awards. <laughs> I don't want to go. I want telepresence. <laughs> Um, and forget the flying. Even when I lived in New York, I was like, did I get to wear a tuxedo and go to the net? That sounds like a disaster. But I don't even like to go to book events. I don't like to go to readings. So I'm Yeah, the this wrong is not way. shade being thrown at the National Book Awards. It's just no, shade. No, this is about general, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is generalized shade at Jeff, like, going somewhere. Yeah, this is a disaster. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's do another sponsor. Then we've got, like, you know, regular news Book Riot podcast news type things to talk about after all this stuff. <laughs> and like seven minutes in which yeah, to talk I know, about I know, it. Yeah, I know, I know. Another sponsor this week, 27 Hours by Tristina Wright. A lot of Book Riot contributors really excited and, ex- and thrilled with this book. Um, l- l- let me go this. So fans of the world, bearing, uh, the world building of Shades of Earth by Beth Rivas on a new planet, the war and changing perspective about the enemy in legend by Mary Lou, and the diversity of sound by Alexander Duncan will love this new inclusive novel from Y author Tristina Wright. I want to get that out there first, some read-alikes first, because it's an author you haven't heard of sometimes, like, what, what world are we dealing with here? So here's the synopsis. Rumamora fears two things, hellhounds he can't kill, which frankly now I'm afraid of that, and failure. Jude Weldon has two dreams, for humans to stop killing monsters and for his strange abilities to vanish. But can a boy who loves monsters fall for a boy who kills them? Nix Lorca keeps two secrets. The moon speaks to her, and she's in love with her best friend forever, BFF. I said that out loud like I'm a thousand years old. Dahlia. <laughs> Braden Tennant wants two things, to leave his mother's shadow and to unlearn Epsilon's darkest secret. If they can't stop the war of extinction, their wishes will never come true. 
and things they fear will be all that's left. It's a debut novel by Tristina Wright and the first book in the Nightshade Saga. If you're looking for a new saga, this is something to be interested in. It's been praised by Kate Elliott, the New York Times bestselling author of The Court of Fives, as a dynamic cast of teens, and it drives as exciting and topical story of ecology, colonialism, and resistance. Uh, Meredith Russo, the Stonewall award-winning, uh, the Stonewall award-winning author of If I Was Your Girl, said the following: Tristina Wright presents a world that will at once thrill and horrify readers and make the most vulnerable vulnerable of us feel unambiguously welcome and valid. Um, Claire awesome. Legrand, acclaimed author of Winterspell, said, The queer science fantasy epic you've been waiting for. And I'm going to leave it there. That is 27 Hours by Tristina Wright. Go check it out. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. We got we into one more story, two more stories. How do you want to do this? Oh, I don't even know. I like... Gave all my energy to Dan Brown. I know. Let, I don't want to talk about Melania Trump. I just can't. Do, yeah, can't do let's that not. Right. Let's talk about Rupi Kaur. Okay. You went to do you Rupi look Kaur. at this? I did. Uh, a new book out. Yes. Um, this book. This what is it called? The sun and her stars. The sun and her stars. And her flowers. The sun and her flowers. Th- this book has sold ninety thousand copies. Uh, not, so, so what am I saying? 90, I'm looking at this, some other. I'm looking at seven hundred thousand copies ahead mm-hmm. of John Grisham, J.D. Vance, Margaret Atwood by hundred thousand copies. Um, this is a weird thing. It said it outsold the next best-selling work of poetry, The Odyssey, by a factor of ten. I don't. I don't know if outselling Homer. I don't know. It's a weird headline. I'm not sure. Yeah, about that. it is. So that's. Uh, oh, that was the first collection, Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey. Which, but I'm yeah. saying that, and so she's got a new book out. And the question, the question that's interesting to me, is this another one going to sell? Like, yes, what do we, what do you question. think? Are, do you think it's going to sell? You know, I think it will. Like, yeah. there, the momentum on this has continued. Like, I, I see random people in my social feeds posting like beautifully designed graphics that have Rupi Kaur quotes on them mm-hmm. all the time, and a lot of her success was due to having a huge online following, especially on Tumblr. She has a huge Instagram presence. Her quotes are very Instagrammable, and it's. I think that it'll be big. I'm not sure that this will eclipse the sales of Milk and Honey, just because it's really difficult to eclipse those kinds of sales if you're anybody, but especially if you're a poet. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked last year about how shocking it was that a book of poetry was selling a million copies. Mm. Uh, and that's uh, just it's just incredible uh, to have done that once. So to do it twice is a real like can lightning strike twice kind of question. Uh, But if anybody can do it, it's Rupi Kaur. Like maybe for some perspective, she has 1.6 million Instagram Mm. followers and 154,000 Twitter followers. So to sell, call it a million of these, like 90% of her social followers would need to buy a book. And that's pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, to, to sell the number of books that Milk and Honey sold, you need people that don't know anything about books buying it. And I guess the question is, how will they even find out there's another book, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I think that's a real issue for some of these things. Like, you sell a big book, then how do you get plugged in to know that there's another one? Like, is the second one going to be recommended virally from, from person to person? Like, we heard, because when, when we first were covering the sales of Milk and Honey and off the chart sales last year, we were hearing people say, yeah, I heard about it and someone bought it for me and I saw it. And like that kind of reality, I don't care how many Instagram followers you have, that is right. not something you can manufacture. And I will be fascinated to see 
Like, is this a hit or does she have a fan base? And those are two very different things, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think the same question is going to um, uh, 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 be answered with Andy Weir and Artemis. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, is it gonna is it gonna be a thing? Are, are, are people Andy Weir fans, or did people hear about The Martian? How many people that read The Martian could even tell you what the name of the author is? Yeah, you know, I think in Ruby Cower's favor, one of the things that was happening in the world when Milk and Honey was selling a jillion copies is the Banana Pants election of 2016, yeah. and her poetry is angry and it's very vulnerable, and mm. it goes right to some of the violent and ugly experiences that young women have in the world, and there's a lot of that still out in the water mm-hmm. these days. Um, a lot of young women who want to see those experiences continue to be reflected back at them. And that would be important in literature regardless. But like women are still really angry right yeah. now and for right. lots of good reasons. And I think they're that, you know, like in a world where the president was Hillary Clinton, the hunger for another collection about dark violent Mm. experiences that women have had and anger that women feel that's real would still be like, that's still necessary, but the fervor I think would be lessened. So it's a, it's a good time I think to be writing the kind of work that Rupi Kaur writes. Um, The environment is open for it, but it's, I think it's really hard to sell a million books once and it's even harder to sell a million books twice. Um, So it's not a, also not like a failure if she doesn't sell a million copies this time around, but I am really interested in, will it be the same kind of word of mouth? Will people pick up Milk and Honey and The Sun and Her Flowers and give like both of them together to friends of like, I read these and these are both of her books and here you go. Or um, is Milk and Honey kind of standalone? It's a really interesting question. Yeah, I would love her to sell even half. I mean, that would be, Mm -hmm. I'd be thrilling. I just like, it was such, it's such a phenomenon that it is now, it it becomes one of those things that's outside the bounds of you're guaranteed another one. Like that, Mm -hmm. that just because you have a huge hit you're going to get it. That's not how these things work necessarily. Sometimes the second one doesn't sell as much. Sometimes there are one-hit wonders. Like, that's a real thing. I thought it was interesting. Like, she travels with a manager, a photographer, and a videographer. And some of what plugs people into her is Instagram, where she's she films her body. Um, she's very much... She's very cognizant of herself as an object to be photographed and filmed and puts it out there and is controlling of it. I think that's interesting as well, that this is not something authors do in this way. You know, to have a professional... Just look... I I don't follow her on Instagram, but I was just... As I was preparing for this, I was scrolling through her feed. Like, it is about... It's like photo shoots of her and her poetry. Like, it's an interesting thing that we just haven't seen before... And how a celebrity author treats themselves like uh, a movie star might, uh, you know, uh, curate their image. Does yeah, that, like it's not surprising sense? for Taylor Swift to do no, a thing like no, this no, or no, for, no. for any kind of pop star, but for an author, a poet to do it, it is something we haven't seen before. Yeah. Um, and it's very interesting, I think, especially in the context of one of the ways that she first really became famous was um, in 2015, she Instagrammed a photo of herself um, ha- like during her period with blood leaking through her sweatpants. And you can like the, you can see the photo in the piece that we're going to link to in the show notes. And Instagram took the photo down. Mm. Um, and like she had taken this photo for a class project, posted it on Instagram. Instagram took the photo down and she responded to that act of censorship saying, you know, like, the, the patriarchy is leaking. Their misogyny is leaking. 
um, and really established herself. Like that went viral. That was kind of her first big moment, establishing herself as this young feminist voice. So it's really Mm -hmm. interesting to follow the trajectory, I think, from that kind of like – it's a photo she took for a class, and so it is still constructed, but like that kind of constructed image to now the con- the constructed image that she has with a photographer and a videographer mm-hmm. following her. And she's beautiful and very glamorous, mm-hmm. and it's just not the kind of life that we see a poet have in public. No. Um, I, there's nothing to compare this to. I just I'm, I feel like I have no rudder here of like how to guess about how this is going to go, because it's like imagine that we had never had a pop star before. <laughs> Yeah. No, right. Yeah. And there were times we didn't have pop stars, right? Right. Like, you know, Elvis coming on and like doing his pelvic thing. People are like, what is this? Like, right. So it's, it's interesting to me to see like, there's a, there's this photo of her recently. And interestingly, her poems that the, the poetry she puts on are very simple, like a little, you know, black and white illustration and then a few lines. And then there's this, it's not crazy. It's, it's very elaborate picture of her sort of covered in flower shot from on top of a ladder or the ceiling or something else that may, it's it's really interesting, and I don't know if it's one of those things that's the exception that proves the rule, or if it's some other way of uh, of selling books or selling personality or constructing an image. Like, is she a poet that's also a performance artist kind of thing going on at the same time? I guess it's fascinating, a totally fascinating thing. And the second book, I think, will be telling. I, I think you know, w- mm-hmm. you know, what is this thing that's that's going to happen? Um, an, an amazing story, and. Uh, I'm fascinated by the whole thing and the sales are just kind of the, that's the, the data I can hold on to. It's like, okay, this is, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Does it, does it happen yeah. in sales? I would be interested to hear from our listeners yeah. who, cause when we first started talking about milk and honey, a lot of you guys did tweet us and email us about how you had found out about it. Did you know there was a new book? And if you did, how did you find out about it? Yeah. Um, I'm and are you going to buy curious. this one? Right. Yeah. She doesn't so follow anybody do on Twitter. She doesn't follow anyone. That's weird. She doesn't follow anyone hmm. on Instagram. Huh. Isn't that strange? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Just know. Podcast at bookriot.com. Yeah, let us know. I, I'm fascinated. So I got, that's October 3rd. So I got sales to, I got Ishiguro sales. I got Dan Brands. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know what? A glass of Merlot and my publisher's <laughs> weekly. It's going to be nice. Wild Saturday night. It's going to be nice. At least I won't be at an award show. I'll tell you that much. I'll just call you up and read you a little. Of no, that, that's not nice. That, that hurts my feelings. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this week's show. Uh, th- you can email us, podcast at bookwriter.com. We want to know, let's see, we want to know about, uh, what, what's your favorite Ishiguro? If you've read the other the other Ishiguros besides the one Rebecca and I have read, I'd like to hear about that. Um, and I can we can talk about it next week, follow up about that. Um, we'd like to hear about, you know, your Rupi Kaur experience, if you've bought and liked the Milk and Honey, and if you're interested in the sun and her flowers. Uh, if you you know if you're a librarian or bookseller, are people asking about it too? Like the secondary oh, yeah, factors that question. you know. Um, I, li- I like to hear about that. Uh, you can find show notes for this all and this and all back episodes of Book Riot Podcast at bookriot.com/slash/listen. And I guess that's our show. Yep. Have a good one. We'll be back next week.